You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. The level of arthritis research funding has increased substantially over the years, from $10,000 in 1948 to over $30 million in awards and grants for research today. And yet, there is still no cure for arthritis. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Laura Humphrey, and with me today is Dr. Patience White, Chief Public Health Officer for the Arthritis Foundation in Atlanta. She is also Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at the George Washington School of Medicine and Health Sciences. Welcome, Dr. White. Thank you so much for having me on your program, Laura. Thank you. Today we are discussing treatment for the millions of Americans suffering from the pain of arthritis. Let's talk about the different types of arthritis, and I'm sure there are different treatment approaches for each. You're absolutely right. One of the most important messages for everybody is that people need to get to doctors to find out what kind of arthritis they have, and osteoarthritis is the most common, affecting 21 million Americans, and then there's rheumatoid arthritis that affects about 2.1 million So there are different forms of arthritis, and they are very common. And the Center for Disease Control will be coming out and telling us that it's going to increase incredibly over the next 20 years or so. So by 2030, it'll go from 46 million Americans to 67 million Americans. So it'll be clearly something that is in doctors' offices. And right now, about, I think, 4% of all ambulatory visits are related to arthritis. Wow, that's so substantial. And what sort of general guidelines should physicians use in approaching the treatment of arthritis in each type? The first is finding out which type they have, and let's sort of Mm -hmm. take each one of them. In osteoarthritis, there are many lifestyle changes they need to focus on as the primary approach to treatment for osteoarthritis. There is research looking at how we can regenerate cartilage, but it's not something that's available in the marketplace today. But we do have tremendous amount of ways of helping people decrease their pain and improve their disability with osteoarthritis. And as I always say, you need healthy joints to be physically active. We all know physical activity is so important for general wellness and treating all these other chronic diseases that people have, heart disease and diabetes. And physical activity is also a treatment, if you can think about it, for osteoarthritis. Most people think, gee, I can't be active. I have arthritis. Nope. Physicians need to now tell people that it's very important to get physically active. So the treatment in terms of lifestyle changes is losing that weight. That's 65% of Americans that are overweight or obese. If they lose that little bit of weight, that 15 pounds decreases that pain by 50% and changes the progression of osteoarthritis. And being physically active is important. Also, we give such things as Tylenol for pain and the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, which we can talk about a little bit later. For rheumatoid arthritis, it is an exciting time to treat that disease. I'm a rheumatologist, and I can't think of a better time to be able to say to somebody with rheumatoid arthritis, the kind of treatments we have available today will completely change the natural history of rheumatoid arthritis. We'll see less people requiring hip replacements. There'll be much less disability. So it's a very exciting time. And the drugs that we're employing are drugs that were out there for many years to treat cancer, methotrexate being the drug that we really are using and have shown a lot of promise in decreasing the very destructive process of rheumatoid arthritis, and the newer biologic drugs 
that are very exciting that actually put these diseases in remission. Wow. Tell us more about that. Well, in rheumatoid arthritis, it's an inflammatory process, and now we've gotten down to understanding that there are certain proteins and cytokines that trigger the process that goes on to cause the kind of disability and destruction. And TNF-alpha is one of those proteins. And so today we have drugs that actually block its effect. Mm -hmm. So you decrease that whole downstream inflammatory process. These are Enbrel or Infliximab. These are drugs available today that if patients take them, you can literally see it's night and day. They were unable to walk or do their daily activities, and taking these kinds of biologic therapies make a huge difference. And now the, the companies are getting smart. There are other ones, IL-6. These are kind of cytokines. So they're developing drugs that will counteract those kinds of inflammatory cytokines. So the companies and researchers are sort of getting together and figuring out how they can stop this inflammatory cascade that's going on in a person with inflammatory arthritis, such as systemic lupus erythematosus or rheumatoid arthritis, which is much more common. We were mentioning earlier that there are some questions about the NSAIDs and COX-2s. What should people be aware of? Well, non-steroidal inflammatory drugs have two components that they affect, COX-1 and COX-2. One's an inflammatory, uh, and COX-2 is as the so major side effect of these drugs is giving you stomach ulcers and gastrointestinal bleeding. So people had focused that you need to, when you're going to take a non-steroidal and anti-inflammatory drug, that you have to be very aware that as you get older, you're more likely to have gastrointestinal bleeding and giving a kind of medication that helps with that is important, particularly if you're over 65. But something that's come out recently and certainly around the Vioxx question, that was a prescribed drug, was that actually it might make heart disease worse. That's caused a shudder through the millions and millions of people that take these kind of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And what are those drugs? We're talking about ibuprofen, or naproxen or Aleve that's over-the-counter. Then we've got Voltaren as well as Celebrex. Now, Celebrex has been marketed as a COX-2 inhibitor, so it has less gastrointestinal bleeding. But you end up with a question of that you might get early heart attacks and heart disease. So this has certainly put everybody and physicians in a quandary. What am I going to do for my people that have pain? Because these are such important drugs. We give them in many other settings than arthritis. You know, if you get bad tendonitis or you get an injury, they use it post-dental work. You know, they give people ibuprofen to decrease the pain. So people have to look carefully at the risk-benefit. And today, all of these drugs have a chance of having a heart problem, but it's only in a very small percentage. So I'm always talking to my cardiovascular cardiology colleagues and saying, you can't say to everybody, you just can't take those drugs because you leave many people with an incredible amount of pain. And you have to say to them, you have a very rare chance of getting a cardiovascular complication, and you need to take a good history about the cardiovascular risk factors in the person that's sitting in front of you that you're thinking about prescribing a non-steroidal. So I'm always saying, work through the risk-benefit with your patient that's in front of you. They may say, you know, it's worth it to me to take a risk that's very, very low in comparison to being disabled, that risk might be very high. So for somebody with rheumatoid arthritis, they have a 100% chance of being disabled if they don't begin to think about taking an anti-inflammatory medication. 
and their chance of having a heart problem is much lower because there may be no family history of heart disease. So you want to talk this through with somebody and really think through the risk of the disease and balance it with the risk of the side effect of the medicine. We often are a risk-averse society, yes. but when you talk to a patient, boy, it makes a big difference. They don't want to have that pain. They want to be involved in the decisions about their health. Absolutely. They want to know what the options are and make a choice and be a partner with the physician. Are there any alternatives? There, there actually are some alternative what we call complementary medicine that people can consider. Acupuncture for osteoarthritis of the knee has been shown to be very helpful. So thinking about that, if you really cannot prescribe a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug and you have somebody with knee pain, thinking about acupuncture is very, very helpful, along with the lifestyle changes that we mentioned. Just losing weight will make a big difference in osteoarthritis pain. There are many, many other complementary medicines that patients find on the web and all sorts of things. To, and we don't have the kind of controlled trials that we'd like to have to say we know that you need to prescribe this kind of herb better than another one. And also, patients always come in saying there's got to be a diet that I can take that will make a difference with my arthritis because if you go to any major bookstore and go to the health section, you're going to find many books about arthritis and that if you just take this diet, you know, you don't eat tomatoes or something. And we just don't know that. There is not enough information to say one diet is better than the other. And intuitively, arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis are worldwide diseases. And think of it. Somebody in Africa has a very different diet than an American. And as you can see, it happens in both countries. So I'm always telling patients that because they always want to know that they should not eat this or that for their arthritis because clearly their neighbors have told you about the latest diet fad that's going to make it better. And I say just take a healthy diet. You want to you want to be sure that you get the right amount of nutrients, the right amount of calcium, and all the kinds of things that physicians know are good for you and focus them on that rather than the latest fad diet or the latest uh, complementary medicine that they found in a health store. For physicians, it's often difficult to sort out the wheat from the chafe, to know what is helpful and complementary and alternative treatments and what is myth. It is very hard. There's, we actually have an alternative therapy publication at the foundation that I think is wonderful. It goes through you know, all the different herbs and whether or not there's been any information about whether they're helpful or what there might be a contraindication. So I'm always referring to that when somebody brings in their latest bottle and I look at what's in it. The other thing to be aware of is particularly as people go or traveling a great deal and they come back with some particular Chinese formulary or something from Mexico, many of them have actually non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug in these formulations. Phenylbutazone or indomethacin are in these bottles that they bring back. So looking carefully at what the ingredients is, and sometimes you can't find out, so you actually have to send it off somewhere. We actually found one that had steroids in these, these sort of mixtures that they brought back from the Far East. So being aware that actually regular medicines sometimes are mixed in with these, what would be called complementary medicines, uh, in foreign countries. So it sounds like you would encourage physicians to really become actively involved in their patients' um, interaction with these complementary forms of treatment, but not gear away from them altogether. No, we don't have data that they're necessarily bad for you. So I'm always encouraging you want 
people to tell you what they're taking because if there's if they get a rash you don't and they haven't told you and maybe the rash was related to their complementary medicine you might be stopping a very important medicine that we actually have controlled in data about that is very helpful and an example of that in my practice was I had a woman with rheumatoid arthritis who we started a TNF alpha drug you know to to try and changed the, her disease, and she developed a rash, and she said, oh, I'm going to have to stop this medicine. I said, no, let's sit through, let's, what are you taking? And, and she assumed I was asking about other drugs, and I said, no, are you taking anything else? And then she said, oh, yes, I'm taking St. John's wort. And it turned out that was the problem, so actually we were able to continue the drug that we knew was going to make an incredible difference in her rheumatoid arthritis, and she just needed to stop her complementary medicine. Mm-hmm. I want to thank Dr. Patience White, who's been our guest. I'm Dr. Laura Humphrey, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.